your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. If you're wondering where the Gospel of Luke is, it is in the New Testament, second half of your Bible. It's the third book in the Bible, and uh, we want to encourage you to turn to chapter 19 or scroll to chapter 19. I'm going to ask you to do this one thing with me. Is we're going to read Scripture together. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19, 28 to 40. And we did this last time. I thought it worked really well. I'm going to ask you guys to do this with me one more time if that's okay. Is Would you mind just standing to your feet real quick? Standing to your feet real quick. And I'm going to ask you guys to stand and read the Word of God uh, because here at Thrive, we love the Word of God. We believe God's Word is powerful. as a power to change our lives. If we would open up our hearts and do that, we're going to do this right now. Would you read with me verses 28 to 40 in a big, loud voice right now? Let's say it together right now. It says, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Okay, before you take your seats, you guys did a great job. Before you take your seats, I want you to introduce the title of today's message to your neighbor sitting in front of you, behind you, beside you. I want you to give them a high five as I tell you what the message title today is. I want you to tell the message title to them. The message title of today's message is, Let Him Have It. Let Him Have It. Will you turn to your neighbor, give them a high five, and say, Let Him Have It. Let Him Have It. Please have your seats. Let me ask this question this morning. Have you ever been so angry and so frustrated at a particular person that you were dealing with that you just wanted to let them have it? Has that ever happened to you before? Maybe it was someone in your home. Maybe it was your spouse. Maybe it's your kid. Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe it's someone that you are hoping to get certain you know, services from or you have certain expectations of that person, but things didn't go through and you were so upset. You were so rattled by it that you just wanted to let them have it. Has that ever happened to you before? And, and I find this is that, you know, maybe you went through something like that this past week. You wanted to send a nasty email to someone because you just couldn't stand it anymore. Or, or you wanted to, you know, give that person a piece of your mind over the phone. Uh, and here's the thing is, I, I find this is when I get my, find myself in those kind of situations, even this past situation, the past week I found myself in a bit of that situation. I find this is that before you let that person have it, you want to let God have it. You want to let God have it. And what I mean is this, is that in other words, before you lash out at that person in anger, go to God with those feelings first. In a respectful, loving, humble way, you can give God your feelings because he loves you just the way that you are. And see, I I would encourage you to pray about it. I encourage you to ask God, what do you want me to do about this? How do you want me to see the situation? You know, very often when we're angry, we'll just kind of do whatever we feel like doing and we'll say whatever we feel like saying. But I find that before you let that person have it, let God have it first. Give your neighbor a high five and say, let God have it first. Aren't you glad that you can let God have it? 
Aren't you glad that we have a God who is our Savior and our burden bearer? He's not just a God who's here to give us burdens. He's a God who's here to carry our burdens with us. And we know that because the Bible says so. We know that 2,000 years ago, Jesus took our greatest burden, the burden of sin, to the cross. When we were separate from God because of our sin, when we had no way of reaching God on our own, Jesus took the burden of our sin, which separated us from God, and he put it on himself on the cross. And he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is our burden bearer. And so if you're going through a tough time today where all you want to do is let someone have it, let me tell you this, you can give it to God. That's why First Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's why Philippians 4 talks about how, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer, with petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You experience God's peace when you let him have it. Amen. Amen. That's why Psalm 68 talks about how God, he is the one who daily bears our burdens. He's not just the one who took our burden of sin to the cross 2,000 years ago, but every single day he's bearing our burdens. Every single day he's available for us to give our burdens to. Aren't you so glad that Jesus is our burden bearer? Amen. Sometimes I find that after I, I give God my burdens, after I let God have it, I don't need to let others have it so much anymore. And I find that after praying about it, I feel better about it. But sometimes maybe you're in the situation where you've prayed about it, but you don't feel completely better. And you feel like things are still bothering you. If that's your case, then I encourage you to find a friend to confide in. You know, the Bible gives us so many models of how to deal with frustrating feelings in your life. That's why David had a guy called Jonathan to confide in. That's why Jesus would confide in his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, and say, hey, this is what I'm going through. I'm just really not in a good place right now. Even Jesus did that. That's why Ruth had a girl called Naomi, her her mother-in-law, her mother-in-law. She confided her mother-in-law and said, you know, this is what I'm going through. And if you are having a tough time today and you've been praying to God, can I encourage you to do one more thing if it's still not happening for you, is to find someone and to talk with them about it. Someone who can be there to listen to what you're going through, who can understand what you're going through, who can pray for you. He can be maybe a bit more of a neutral party in the situation that you're in. I'm so thankful for people in my life that I, ha- that I can do that with. Amen? We're so blessed when we have people who can help us carry our burden. That's what the body of Christ, the church, is all about. To your neighbors, give them a high five and say, Jesus is our burden bearer. Here's a question for you today. Is there a problem in your life that you need to let God have? Instead of trying to solve it on your own, trying to do it all in your own strength and smarts, let God have it. But here's the thing. This message this morning isn't just about giving God your problems. The fact is, I'm so glad we can give God our problems. But if all we do or all we give to God are our problems, then you know what's going to happen? Is our relationship with God will always be kind of self-centered. If all we give to God are our troubles, then what our relationship with God is is really just a one-way thing where God is serving us. It's a bit shallow. It's a bit superficial. But God made us for a deeper relationship than that. And you're going to find as we look into this passage today that you weren't made just to give God your problems, but you were made to give God your prized possessions. You were made to give God your treasures as well. Not just the bad stuff, but the good stuff. Not just the panic, but also the possessions that you hold dearly to yourself. We were made to give those to God as well. And see, what does any of this have to do with the passage that we're looking at this morning? It's because today we're looking at a very significant event in Jesus' life and ministry where people willingly let Jesus have what is theirs in order to accomplish Jesus' purposes on the earth. And I'm going to tell it this way. It's never a waste when you let God have it. 
It's never a waste. Turn your say, it's never a waste. It's never a waste when you let God have it. Something powerful happens when we let God have what we have. Is that when we let God have it, some powerful things take place. Like, you know, your life takes on a greater purpose and meaning than before. When we let God have it, you grow up spiritually. You mature as a worshiper of God. That you're not just worshiping God because of the things he does for you. You're worshiping God because he's worthy. Because that's who he is. He's not just the one who serves you, but we as servants of God are there to worship him. When we let God have it, we step into greater levels of joy, peace, and wisdom in our lives because we're living out God's purpose and design for our lives. When we let God have it, we can be a blessing to the people in our home, in our church, in our, in our workplace, in our school. We can bless others more in the process. When we let God have it, we glorify God in the process. And so if you want greater measures of joy in your life today, if you are lacking peace and wanting peace, if you are lacking purpose and needing purpose today, if you want to be a greater blessing to someone in your life this morning, then this message is for you. Today we're talking about how to let him have it. Three ways to let God have it, and in so doing, experience greater joy, peace, and blessing in your life. Would you read with me Luke chapter 19, verse 28 together? Let's read in a big, loud voice. What does it say? It says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Stop right there. See what's going on here. See, this is one of the most significant moments in Jesus's ministry. See, Jesus up to this point has been traveling all over Israel. He's been healing people. He's been teaching people with authority. No one has ever seen the likes of Jesus this way before. And now in the final days of his ministry in life, Jesus is heading toward the climax of this whole story. He's heading to a place called Jerusalem. Everyone say Jerusalem. He's heading to his final destination for now. It's Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel, where in just a few days, Jesus would be betrayed. He would be arrested for crimes he didn't commit. He would be sentenced. He would be crucified. And eventually, he would rise again. But see, Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem marks a transition point in Jesus' life and ministry. And it's such an important thing that all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all talk about this event in some kind of detail. Now, you got to think about this. If Jesus is truly the Son of God, if Jesus is truly the King of Israel, and he's entering the town of Jerusalem, you would think that he would have some kind of special entrance, wouldn't you? If you're the King of Israel, and you're about to enter into what is the capital city of the country that you are apparently the ruler of, what kind of entrance would you think you would be you know, wanting to have? I would think it's a fairly royal entrance, you know, at least a limo, maybe maybe a horse and carriage, maybe a Corvette or maybe a sports car, maybe some grand procession, maybe some fireworks, some pyrotechnics. You know, one of the things that I, I watch you know, in my spare time from time to time, from time, time um, I'll, be, I'll admit to you, sometimes I watch WWE, the World Wrestling Entertainment Company, and sometimes I'm amazed by the kind of entrances that some of these wrestlers will have. There's music, loud, loud music. There's pyrotechnics and fireworks, and there they are. They're, they're at the front of the... Uh, of the ramp, they're, they're flexing, they're going, oh, I'm going to kill they're doing all these things, and, and they're doing all these things as their entrance, as adoring fans are shouting their name, going, go, go The Rock, go Stone Cold Steve Austin, do all these, they're, they're doing all these things because this is their grand entrance. And see, if I was Jesus, and I am far greater than any one of these professional athletes, and I am entering into the town that is the capital city of the place that I'm supposed to rule, I would think that I would want at least an entrance like that. But why? Why would Jesus enter on a donkey? Would you enter 
on a donkey, if that was you? Why, why does Jesus' entrance seem less royal and less dramatic and more like Yankee Doodle? You know, Yankee Doodle went to town riding on a donkey. Why, why is that? Why, why donkey? Let me give you two reasons why. First is this. Jesus rode on a donkey into Jerusalem to fulfill an Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah. See, you got to understand recognize that centuries before Jesus was born, there was a prophet called Zechariah who wrote about this Messiah, the Savior King that the Jews were expecting to come and save them. And they, he said this about this. He said this about this Messiah. Look at Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. What does it say? It says, "Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, daughter of Jerusalem! See, your King comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey." See, it's Zechariah. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and saying he sees an image of the Messiah who's going to come one day and he's going to save the people of Israel and he's going to come on a donkey. See, up to this point, Jesus, you ought to realize, had not sought to be openly called the Messiah. In fact, in his early ministry, some people would even try to publicly announce, hey, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah, aren't you? Let's tell everybody. And Jesus would be, no, not right now. My time has not yet come. He would silence people's attempts to broadcast his identity as the Messiah. But now, at the climax of Jesus' life and ministry, Jesus is now allowing and even encouraging people to call him the Messiah. In fact, over the next few days, he's going to do so many things that would point to and communicate the fact that he is the Messiah. And so Jesus, knowing that he's only got a few days left, knowing what the scriptures say about how the Messiah Messiah would come into Jerusalem and he would come on a donkey. He decides to fulfill that Old Testament prophecy. He picks a time when everyone's going to be there. He picks Passover season when all of Israel flocks to the city of Jerusalem and they're all going to be there. He picks a time and a place where huge crowds are gathered. He goes right to the place where he goes down the Mountain of Olives, where he loves to pray, down the Mountain of Olives. He goes through the Kidron Valley. He goes through what people call the Golden Gate, where he's now in the temple area of Jerusalem and people, thousands of people are there watching Jesus make this entrance. And he does it in a way that communicates to them, to those who understood scripture at that time, I am the Messiah. The Messiah is here. And see, that's the first reason Jesus rode on the donkey. It's to show that he is the Messiah. There's a second reason why Jesus rode on a donkey, and that is this. Jesus rode on a donkey into Jerusalem to show that Jesus is a king who comes with peace. You see, you got to understand this. Back in Jesus' time, if you were a king, if you were a ruler, and you entered a city on a horse, that signified that you were a king who came for war. It was a symbol of, I'm here to fight. I'm here to bring war. But see, if you are a ruler who, who came to a town or city on a donkey, it signified that you'd come in peace. Jesus comes to Jerusalem on a donkey to communicate that he is the king who comes to bring a peace that no one else can give. And in fact, when you read about this event in the Gospel of John, you're going to find that the people did one more thing that Luke doesn't talk about, is that these people wouldn't just lay down their cloaks. This, Jesus wasn't just on a donkey, but the people would also lay down palm branches on the ground. Why palm branches? Why palm branches? In fact, that's why we call that event Palm Sunday. But why? Why palm branches? When you think of palm branches, what do you think of? When I think of palm branches, I think of vacation. I think, oh, relaxation. I think about beach. I think about a, a pina colada in my hand. I think about, you know, going surfing. I think about, you know, vacation. But, you know, back in Jesus' day, when you saw palm branches, when people saw palm branches, do you know what they thought of? They thought of victory. 
they thought of, I'm going to conquer. They thought of, I'm going to have peace. Because, in fact, in, back in Jesus' day, if you were an athlete and you're running a race and you win the race, you're welcomed into the winner's circle, and then people will present you with palm branches as a way to say you went through a great struggle and now you have peace, you have won. And so that's what they're communicating to Jesus, is that you are our conquering, victorious king who's here to bring peace to our nation. And so they're dropping these leaves in front of them to communicate that he is the king of peace because there's a peace that Jesus gives that the world cannot give. And see, that's why all these people are ecstatic that Jesus is here. They're like, yes, blessed be the name of the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're, 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 they're like, you know, glory to God in the highest. They're praising God as he's coming in. It's because how many of us know that when Jesus enters any place, it's worth celebrating it? When Jesus enters your life, it's worth celebrating. We just celebrated one of our friends or two of our friends getting baptized, uh, you know, just a few weeks ago at their house. And, we're like, and we, just had, we had a celebration. It was just an amazing time because when Jesus enters your life, it is worth celebrating because you have a peace now that the world cannot give. And here they are. They are celebrating the peace that comes from Jesus. But look at verse 29. We're going to learn something together. It's very powerful. Look at verse 29. It says, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. And, you know, the, 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 it doesn't say it out there outright, but the fact is they gave it. The Lord needed it, and the donkey owner gave it. You know, wouldn't it be great if you could take anything you want just by saying, the Lord needs it. You know, imagine you're at the drive-thru McDonald's, and they're like, oh, welcome to McDonald's. What can I take? And I'll, be, oh, I'll take a Big Mac, uh, some medium fries, hot mustard on the side, maybe a chocolate milkshake, please. That'll be ten fifty. How'd like to pay? Uh, um, oh, okay. Uh, the Lord needs it. That'll still be ten fifty. How'd you like to pay? That's the thing. I don't know if you get the same kind of response. Or say you're looking in park. You maybe go to Richmond Center later on, and the parking lot is full, and you finally find a parking spot that maybe you like to take, but someone else goes in and takes it. And as they're walking out of their car, you unroll the window and say, hey, the Lord needs it. Do you think they would get out of their car? They go back in their car and drive out so you can go in? I'm not too sure. You can try it. You can try it later on today. Try it at home if you want. But the fact is this. I don't know if you're going to get the same kind of response. Why is it that the disciples were able to take that donkey, that colt, just by saying the Lord needs it? Well, different scholars have come up with different theories on it. One is the idea that maybe Jesus prearranged it. Maybe, you know, he was in a trench coat and sunglasses and a hat. And the night before, he, he goes up to the donkey owner. He meets him in some corner at some, you know, at the parking lot of Lansdowne. He's like, uh, uh, and he's like, I'm going to come to Jerusalem tomorrow. Uh, I need a donkey. Can I use your donkey? Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Don't, don't tell anyone. I just want to be dramatic. I want to impress my disciples. Let's just do that right now. Okay, I'll see you later. And, and he goes, so I, I don't know if that happened. I don't know if Jesus had the time uh, to do something like that. Some people would say, oh, maybe it was an angel who came to the donkey owner and in a dream spoke to the donkey owner and said, the Lord is going to use the donkey tomorrow, give it to him. Maybe it's because Jesus was now a household name. And so just the, at the sound of Jesus' name, people are like, well, they're happy to give him whatever he needs. Whatever the case is, we don't know for sure. But the fact is, when Jesus asked, the owner let him have it. And see, what's the lesson here? See, the lesson here is this. Today we're talking about three ways to let Jesus have it. And the first is this. When Jesus asks you for it, let him have it. See, when God requests 
that he use something or take something of yours. Let him have it. You see, Christianity begins with the generosity of God. It begins with how we needed God. We were separate from him. There was no way we could reach him on our own. And so God gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave because he loves us. He gave because he's a generous God. Christianity begins not with our performance and how good we are. It begins with God's generosity and how good God is. And see, while Christianity begins with our need for God and God generously feeding that need, from time to time, I'm here to tell you this, as followers of Jesus, sometimes God will need something from you. Sometimes God will need something from you. But you will, but JB, if Jesus is the son of God, then how could he need anything? How could God actually really need anything? Let me clarify that for you today. See, God will sometimes need something from us, not because he truly can't live without you doing it, but it's because he needs something from us because he wants to involve you in what he is doing. See, let me give you an example. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus, he's preaching by a beach. Maybe there's palm trees. He's at the lake of Gennesaret, and he's preaching to these huge crowds, and he decides that he wants to sit in Peter's boat, and from shallow water, he's going to teach the people as he sits in the boat. Can I tell, can, let me ask this question. Did Jesus need the boat? No. No. Jesus made the water. Jesus could walk on water. He could float on the water if he wanted to and just pe- and, and, and give people this amazing sight as he teaches the people. But why did he use Peter's boat? It's because he wanted to involve Peter. He wanted to involve Peter in something that God was doing at that time. And the same way, if you're here and you're serving and, and you, you're tempted to complain, oh, I got to wake up early again. Oh, I got to play keyboard again. Oh, I got to usher again. Oh, I got to do parking again. Let me tell you this. God doesn't need you as if he can't live without you. God involves you because he wants you to be involved in what he is doing. God involves you because he knows that when you start plugging yourself in to God's purposes on this earth, your life takes on a meaning and a purpose that you could never find on your own. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. It's because God is involving us. See, because God wants to involve us in a story that's bigger than ourselves, from time to time, God will specifically ask you for certain things. Has God ever done that with you? Has he ever specifically asked you for something and you had to choose, am I going to give it to God or not? See, God respects our choices, but God also has preferences. And he will sometimes ask you to give him something that you think is yours so that he can use it for a much, much more powerful purpose. Let me give you an example. And I share this story about once a year. There's certain stories in my life, and I think in your life too, that are worth showing or sharing, you know, not just once, but often from time to time. I share this one. I try to share this one not more than once a year. Uh, and this one you may have heard before. Some of you guys I know have never heard it before. But when I was in uh, second year law school, law school was three years. When I was in second year law school studying in Toronto, uh, my goal, as was the goal of every second year law student at that time, the goal was to get a job at a prestigious firm somewhere in the country so that if you had a summer job, at the end of your third year, you'd have an internship waiting for you at the end when you graduated. And that was every second year law student's goal. And so I remember, you know, me with hundreds of other students were, were you know, sending in our resumes, we're, we're making phone calls, we're trying to, you know, organize interviews with different firms. And I remember there was these two firms in particular that I really wanted to work for. That, you know, there, there were two major law firms in the, in the country and I thought, you know what, I'd love to work 
for them. I sent in my resume. They, they called me in for an interview, and they, things seemed to go really well. And I remember there was a cocktail party where there's all these different people, all these different law students and all these different law firm partners coming together to mingle, to socialize, and to, you know, just kind of get to know one another better. And I remember, you know, it was sort of the, the, the end of the week. It was a long week of interviews. And I remember, you know, I just wanted to kind of really kind of just thank two of those firms that, that really, uh, you know, spent time with me. And I wanted to thank them to show my appreciation. I wrote a little simple letter to say, hey, thanks for your time. I put it in my, you know, my, my coat pocket. And I went into, this, into the social, this, this cocktail party. And I remember going into the cocktail party. And it must have been maybe five minutes in, I see one of the partners who had interviewed me for one of those firms that I really wanted to work for. And I went up to him, and he went up to me. We kind of met in the middle. And, uh, and before I had a chance to speak, he, he said, hey, Justin. That's what the J&JB stands for. He says, he's Justin. Uh, you know, we, we enjoyed meeting with you. We're actually just about to go to dinner right now. Do you want to join us for dinner? Uh, you know, do, you want, do you want some dinner? We, we're we're going to go for dinner right now. And I was like, oh, well, thanks so much for the offer. You know, it's been a really uh, long week, and I've got uh, actually quite a ways to go back home. Uh, but uh, so uh, no thanks, but thank you so much. I just wanted to say, though, thank you so much for spending time with me. Here's a letter uh, you know, just to show my appreciation. I really appreciate you guys' this time. And he looked at me with this letter with a very weird look on his face, and he walked away. Seconds later, I see this other partner from this other firm that I really wanted to work for. And he had the exact same thing to say to me. He, had, he said, Justin, we, we loved meeting you this, uh, this morning or, or the, earlier this week. And we wonder, do you want to come to dinner with us right now? We're, we're going to have dinner right now. Why don't you join us? I was, oh, and I said the same thing. I was like, you know what? I've got a, you know, it's, it's been uh, kind of a long day. and I, I was going to head home. And, and uh, you know, it's, I've got a long way to get home and stuff. But I want to thank you so much for your time. Uh, and I uh, just want to give you this letter to say thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And he looked at me with a very weird look on his face as well. And then he walked away too. And I, I, I went, I went went into the subway station. I, I, was, I, I was going home. And about me half an hour later, I got a call on my cell phone. One, it was a flip phone back then. I, it was like a, a flip phone. And, and I got it from my, I got a call from my friend saying, hey, hey, Justin, I, I don't mean to kind of spy on you, but I, I kind of noticed that like there were these two partners from these two firms who asked you out to dinner and like you just left them? You didn't go? I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I, I appreciate their uh, wanting to invite me for dinner. I'm, I'm just not that hungry. And I, I just thought I'd go home. And, and he's like, are you kidding me? Justin, do you realize that when they ask you to dinner, that's, that's the final interview. That, that's them pretty much ready to give you a position, and you need to just basically go and get it. I'm like, are you kidding me? By that point, I was almost home. It was too late. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. What am I going to do? And I, I, I called the next morning. I said, hey, guys, you want to go to breakfast? And, and, and they were like, I'm so sorry. We, we, we gave the position to a couple other people, uh, but we'll, we'll be in contact with you. I was like, are you kidding me? I, I didn't say it out loud, but I was just thinking to myself, oh, my goodness. And, you know, I, I remember thinking to myself, man, I did the very best that I could. Uh, you know, I, I prayed about it. I, I tried to honor God through it in, in my own little ways. And, and, and for some reason, the doors just didn't quite open. And, you know, I, I went into that weekend really disappointed, kind of depressed about what happened and looking to the future and thinking to myself, what am I going to do? And I remember going to church, uh, sitting in the, in the church service, and, and with the pastor, he said, hey, before I preach the message this morning, I want to I uh, welcome up a, a lady who just came back uh, from China. Uh, she just wants to share a little bit about her short-term missions trip experience. And she came up, and I don't remember her name. I don't even remember what she said. But I just remember the fact of her standing at the pulpit say, talking about this experience she had, this amazing experience she had serving God and serving people by going to missions in China. And in the back of my mind, it was almost like there was a kind of a seed planted there. I almost felt like at that moment, God was asking, would you trust me with your summer? 
would you trust me that summer? Well, it was it took a bit of a process. It wasn't, oh, um, obviously, right now, it's all yours, God. But instead, you know, I went back to my dorm. I kept on, you know, hammering out resumes and applications. And for some reason, for some reason, every door closed. I was like, how is it possible that no one wants me? How is it possible that these law firms, they all don't want to have anything to do with it? I was like, what is going on? And finally, I, I, but I kept on thinking about that missions trip. And finally, I decided, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. And I prayed about it, and I just really sensed more and more that as if God was saying, would you trust me with this summer? You know, would I, almost like, would you give this summer to me? Would you let me have this summer? And finally, I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to apply for this missions trip. And every other door closed. Hopefully, this door won't close. Praise God, this door didn't close. And I went on this missions trip, and I had the time of my life, you know, teaching English, making really good friends, seeing God move in such powerful ways when I was there. You know, I, I thought when I get to China that my heart would just break for people in China. But I found that when I got there, it was like I kept on thinking about Vancouver and people in Vancouver. And it, that, was all, that was all kind of just a, a, another stage in which I think God was developing my heart to do something in Vancouver. And, and, and it was one of those things where I'm seeing, you know, people come to know Jesus. And I thought to myself, you know, I would not trade this for that office job in the summer. I wouldn't. This is the most amazing time of my life. It was through this time that I thought, you know, I'd love to spend some time living in, in, Asia, in Asia one day. I, I'd love to spend some time overseas one day. And it opened my eyes to see so much more that I would not have experienced if I had things my way. And one of the coolest parts of it all is at, in the middle of the mission trip, I get a call from one of those two firms that I really wanted to work for. And they said, you know what, uh, we want to invite you to come back for an interview at the end of when you get back from your travels. Is that okay? I was like, oh, absolutely. That's fine. And I go in after the mission trip. They said, you know what, we know you didn't get a summer position here, but we want, we want to offer you the internship to come back at your third year of law school after you're done, and you can be with us. And I was like, oh, my goodness. It just goes to show, you know, I want, I, the only reason why I wanted that summer job was so I could get that internship at the end of my third year. God was saying, you know, you don't even have to do it that way. I'll give it to you anyways. Just trust me with your summer. Amen. Would you give God a big, big hand for that right now? And, you know, I, I learned a lesson from that, a couple at least. One is that, was one, is that when God closes a door, it's not because he's cruel. It's not because he's not there. It's not because he doesn't care. When God closed the door, it's because he's giving you an unexpected opportunity. Maybe you're here and you're facing a closed door today. Can I tell you this? God has something greater in mind than all you could ask for or imagine. So don't give up. One thing I also learned from that experience is that it's never a waste when you let God have it. It's never a waste. You can never outgive God. And so when God asks, let him have it. Would you turn to him and say, let him have it? You know, for those of you who are wondering what you're going to do with your summer, can I ask you to consider letting God have it? Let God have it. Consider going on a missions trip this Sunday summer. In fact, after the service, after the second service, we're going to be having a, a missions trip info session for those who want to go to Taiwan for missions. But that's not the only mission trips out there. There's so many different organizations and opportunities out there that you can do this coming summer. Let God have it. See, we often sing songs, oh, God, I offer you my life. God, my life is yours. I'm going to worship you forever. But see, here's the thing. If you're not willing to give up even two weeks of your life, to go somewhere to serve God far away, have you really given your life to Jesus? Do, does he really have your heart? Or is that just cheap talk and empty promises? See, we want to be, uh, you know, wanting to say, when God, you ask for anything, it's yours. I'm yours. 
I'm yours. Like Jason Raz says, I'm yours. It's all yours. See, when Jesus asks, let him have it. Number two, another lesson that we learn from this story, this account from Jesus' life is this. Go out of your way to give it to God even before he asks. Would you write that down? Go out of your way to give it to God even before he asks. Why don't you read verse 35 with me right now? What does it say? It says, they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. See, what's going on here? See, the disciples, they got the colt, they got the donkey, they're coming in, and the disciples, they notice that the colt has no saddle on it. And so Jesus is going to be riding on the saddle. They don't want their master to be uncomfortable. So what do they do? They take off their cloaks, they put it on the donkey, and they create a, a hybrid saddle for Jesus to walk into Jerusalem on that colt. He's, they're putting Jesus on. And that's in many ways here at Thrive, what we're learning to do is that we want to put Jesus on top of our stuff. Not our stuff on top of Jesus, but put Jesus on top. Make him the one who's preeminent. Make him the one who rides on everything else that we do. Amen. And see, notice this. They did not wait for Jesus to ask. Notice that? They didn't wait for Jesus to say, oh, oh I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. They said, you know, we're just going to do it anyways. They took initiative. They were, my favorite word, proactive. Amen. They took initiative to love and honor Jesus without him having to ask. Wives in this place, those of you who are married, wives in this place, do you ever get frustrated with your husband because you have a need, and you don't want to have to ask. You just kind of hope that they would see that need and just meet that need. Has that ever happened to you before? Yeah? Husbands, same thing maybe? Where you, does, it get, does it frustrate you sometimes when you just kind of, you don't expect them to read your mind all the time, but you just kind of hope that your wife would kind of see that need and meet that need in some way, whether it's doing chores or it's about listening or it's about intimacy, whatever it is. Isn't it frustrating sometimes? I find that in marriage, there, there's, a, there's almost two lessons that we need to learn at the same time. One is to be able to lovingly and clearly vocalize and express what we need because, you know, people can't read our minds. And the other one is to anticipate the other person's need. To be able to, again, not expect that I have to read Pastor Charlene's mind, but that I can be able to anticipate her needs nonetheless and be able to not have to be something someone who has to be asked to do everything because I never know what she needs we want to anticipate people's needs as well and see sometimes I'll be you know even carrying a lot of stuff into the church and I, I, I don't know if you know me but if, if you if you see me kind of coming into the church I'm often carrying a lot of stuff I've got a laptop bag I got this uh, fun funny like man purse that I'm not ashamed uh, not ashamed to carry you know I've got like other stuff that I've got I've got, I've got, I've got sometimes a kid in my arms and and you know it's, it's one of those things where sometimes, sometimes I'll be walking into the, uh, toward the building, and I'll see someone who's maybe a bit close to the door, and sometimes I'll be like, hey, would you mind getting the door for me? Is that okay? Is that all right? Like, oh, oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, here you go. Like, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. In back of my mind, I'm going, oh, man, I wish we uh, could do something different on that one. But then, and then, but then sometimes I find it is so much a blessing it, that warms my heart when someone will go out of their way to go, hey, oh, pastor, let, 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 me, let, let me carry that for you. Do you, you need a hand with anything? Let, let me carry that for you. Let me get the door for you. What, what, what's going on? You're anticipating the need. Amen. How many of us know that it blesses people so much more when you anticipate the need? And the same goes for God. Part of loving God is learning to anticipate what he desires. It's to learn to anticipate his needs. Part of loving the people in your life and part of loving God is in your relationships, anticipating other people's needs, to be proactive, to don't, not always wait until someone has to ask you to do it. You just do it. For example, when you see someone begging on the street, and you've got a little bit of change in your pocket. Let me ask you, what do you usually do? When they kind of, hey, spare some change? Or maybe they've got a sign. What do you usually do? 
know, I, I've, I, I've had different thoughts on this one over the years. You might be thinking something, something like, oh, you know, what, what, what if they're drug addicts? I don't want to give them money to feed their addiction. And, and so here's something that you can try doing. And sometimes we'll try to do this as a family. As as we'll, we'll store snacks in our glove compartment. And whenever we see someone who's on the street, we, we went, might not necessarily give them change. Sometimes we do. But you might want to give them a snack. You just say, hey, here, here's a bottle of water. Or here, here, here's, here's something you can have. You know, maybe, I don't know if you've eaten yet, but here's, here's something for you. See, here's the thing is, you don't always need to hear a voice from God telling you to do something before you do it. Not all the time. If it's the right thing to do, it's not a big deal. You've got the time, the energy, the resource to do it. No need to say, let me pray about it. There's certain things that you don't need to pray. Don't get me wrong. We are a church that leans on prayer, that lives on prayer. We are a church that relies on prayer. That's why we're praying and fasting these next three days. But sometimes I find this, is that sometimes people say, let me pray about it as a spiritual-sounding excuse to not do anything. People start stacking up chairs. Oh, hey, hey, do you have a second? Can you just help us with the chairs? Oh, let me pray about it. Let me pray about it, yeah. Uh, or or, or, or you, you, see, you, you see someone, you know, who's, uh, who, who's, who's, who's fallen down on the floor, and, and you walk past them, and you go, hey, can you give us a hand? Oh, uh, let me pray about that one as well. See, see that, that's, 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 the, that's the thing about, that's the thing about, you know, you don't always need to hear the voice of God telling you, give that person change before you give them change. You don't have to hear the voice of God going, help them with those heavy things before you help them. Amen. Amen. Don't use let me pray about it as an excuse to do nothing. Instead, when you have the resources, you got the time, let them have it. Amen. Amen. Turn neighbor and say, let them have it. And that's what the disciples did. Even before Jesus asked, they let Jesus have it. And they're not the only ones. Look at verse 36. What does verse 36 say? It says, as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. See what's going on? See, people are taking off their cloaks. They're spreading it on the road so as to give Jesus and his colt an equivalent of a red carpet that they can walk on, give them a bit of a royal entrance. And again, they didn't ask, they weren't asked to do it. They just did it. And here's a question for you in this place. If you were in the crowd and uh, you are wearing a cloak or you're wearing a jacket, would you lay it on the ground for Jesus' colt to step on? You know, keep, keep in mind, these roads are not cleaned. There's no cleaning crew. There is, you know, animal feces, animal urine. There's all that stuff on there. Would you take your, would you take your Gucci coat? Would you take your Aritzia cloak? Would you put that onto the ground to let Jesus' dirty donkey step all over it? Would you? Let me show you my favorite coat. It's this coat right here. And sometimes you, got, you see me wearing it on the stage when I'm not preaching. Why do I never preach on this? In fact, someone asked me, a good friend asked me last week, I was wearing this coat. And, and she was wondering, you know, why don't you ever preach on it? You look so good in it. And I was like, well, the fact is, if you see me sweat on stage, you'll know why I don't wear this. And the fact is this, is that I love this coat. It's, it's my precious coat. I remember, I, I remember that, like, before I got this coat, this is actually my second choice. I remember I went to another store, and I wanted to get this other coat, which had what I thought was like an eagle on the front. And I wore it, and then I, I showed Charlene. I was like, and Charlene's, why is there a chicken on the front of your jacket? I like, it's not a chicken. It's an eagle. It's, oh, no, it's a chicken. I was like, oh, took that off. I forgot about that. I, I, and, then, and, I, and then I got this one on sale. It was a great deal. And, I, I, and here's the thing is that I, I've been thinking to myself, say I was in that scene 2,000 years ago. I'm in Jerusalem with all that crowd. Jesus is on that donkey. He's coming through Jerusalem. And, and I see people laying down their cloaks, their coats onto the ground to let Jesus step on it. Would I take off this jacket 
and would I put it down on the ground for him to step on? See, here's the thing. I, I've learned something over time, which is that, you know, right now, right here, you know, this code is what? 50 bucks, 100 bucks. I don't know how much it's, it's, it's worth right now. But, but here's the thing, is that when you will lay something precious down for Jesus, it doesn't decrease in value. It increases in value. You, know, th- th- you can probably buy this off of eBay for, what, 50, 100 bucks? But if Jesus stepped on this jacket, you would never want to sell it. If Jesus stepped on this jacket, you would never want to wear it again. You want to frame it. You would be like, you know what? This jacket is worth more than a thousand jackets of the same kind because someone stepped on it who's the king of kings. And, and see, why do I mention that? It's because the lesson is this. Don't be afraid to lay down your most prized possession for Jesus. When you hang on to it for yourself, it depreciates in value. But when you lay it down for Jesus, it appreciates in value. See, you know, for example, let me give you an example. Uh, an example. Uh, Pastor Charlene. She was in university, and uh, a few years ago, uh, I won't, yeah, a few years ago, and uh, and she went to an all-girls university, and I remember when she went to this all-girls university, one of the things that she was concerned about as, you know, a university-age girl was, you know, if I'm in an all-girls university, where am I going to meet any guys? Where am I going to find the love of my life going to an all-girls university? Am I going to be a nun for the rest of my life? And, and, you know, and it was just something that sincerely concerned her. Uh, I, she was seeing someone at the time. And, and when that relationship did not go through, didn't, when it didn't work out, she was surprised at just how painful it was for her. She was surprised at how much it affected her. She was surprised at how much of a hold that relationship had on her life. And she thought to herself, man, is this really the only way to find the love of my life in such a painful way by trial and error? And, and so she was she's, she's really kind of concerned and, and worried about that situation, about her relationships. And so she started, she started reading the Bible. She started kind of trying to seek God on, on, on what is the right way to go about relationships. And, and she started getting advice, whether books or mentors in her life. And she's decided to do something. She decided to lay down and to give to Jesus, to let him have a very precious part of her life, which is this issue of relationships. And she decided that, okay, through all these years, I've been so focused on relationships. I want to focus God, on God and seek his kingdom first. And like the Bible says, if I seek his kingdom first, I'm going to trust that he will add everything that I need. And so she decided that for the next six months, that she, she was, she's not going to think about dating. She's not going to try to date anyone. She's not going to worry about that. She's just going to focus on being single and loving God and, you know, reaching the people in her small group and, and serving in her fellowship and, and, and just focusing on school and doing the stuff that she was, that was in her hand. And you know what? It was the happiest six months of her life up till that point. She felt like, man, I, I'm content. I'm at peace. I'm happy. In fact, six months eventually became a year. A year eventually became a year and a half. And over that time, it's almost like God was giving her more clarity and insight into the kind of guy that she wanted to have. And in fact, she started to pray for a guy who had four characteristics. You know, one was that, that someone that she could follow. Someone that, who put God first. Someone with a good temper. And fourth is someone who's just exceedingly good looking. I, I'm kidding about the last one. The, 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 fourth, the fourth is someone who loves their family. And, you know, and then a couple months later, I came into her life, and I ruined everything. And, <laughs> yeah. 
and, uh, and, and see, here's the thing is, Shar's six months of dating, of no dating, of saying, you know, I'm just going to, I'm not going to focus on it. I'm just going to lay this down for Jesus. I'm going to lay down this prized possession. At the end, because she laid it down, what did she get at the end of it? In return, she got a lifetime with this. <laughs> what a steal. What a deal. Boom, this is yours for a lifetime. Oh, yeah. Some would say it's a reward. Some would say it's a curse. But whatever the case be, the fact is she got me at the end. And, 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 and this is it. Is it what, what, is the, what, is, what is the lesson there? Is that when you hang on to that prized possession for yourself, it depreciates in value. But when you lay it down before Jesus and let God step on it, let God work on it, that he will cause it to appreciate in value far beyond anything that you yourself could do. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Amen. Amen. Here's a question for you this morning. What is something precious in your life that you can lay down for Jesus? Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's the summer. Maybe it's despite how busy you are, you're like, you know what, I'm gonna, I want to I wanna give God more time because I just believe I can never outgive him. I believe he's worthy of that time. I want to give it to him. Maybe it's regarding your money and saying, you know what, God, I'm going to start tithing to you. Instead of kind of hoarding everything for myself and using everything on myself, I want to I wanna, you know, do what the Bible says. I want to honor God with my wealth, with the first fruits of my crops. I want to give you the first part. And when I do that, I'm just going to trust you're going to add everything I need and more. And see, what is that to me? You know, I, I'll give you another example. There's a young couple in the church, uh, dear friends of ours, who, who gave us uh, for Christmas a DQ gift card because uh, they know how much I love eating DQ. And uh, I went to DQ, and I used that card. Uh, I didn't know how much was on it. I, was just, I, I just used it. I got my you know, kids, cup, a kids cone in a cup with brownie on top, and then I used the card, and they were like, oh, my goodness, I've never seen so much money on a card before. I was like, how much is on a card? Like $200. I'm like, are you serious? $200? And, and then I, I was kind of embarrassed to text them about it because I was like, I don't want to be like all you know, weird about it. But, but then I, 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 I talked to them like a few weeks later. I was like, hey, like, thanks so much for that car. Like, there, there's like $200 on Did you guys put $200 on there? They said, no, we put $20 on there. It's like, really? Okay, $20. And, and so what happened is somehow in the process, the, there was something that, I don't know, some kind of glitch that happened that turned $20 into $200. God appreciates things in value when you give it to him. Amen. 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 Praise God. I'm not saying I'm God, but when you give to God's people, it has good things happen. And so what, what can you learn from that is give, give what you have to God and believe he will multiply it. When you tithe, don't say, oh, it's only a hundred bucks. Say, God, thank you that you will multiply what I give. That you will do more with what I have than what I could do with what I have. That what is a little bit in my hand is a lot in God's hand. If Jesus laid down his life for us, let's lay down our cloaks for him. Come on, give God a big, big hand in this place right now. Amen. Last point we're going to close this morning. If you want to let Jesus have it, then third thing you want to do that we learn from these people today in Luke chapter 19 is this. See yourself as born to worship Jesus. See yourself as born to worship Jesus. See, the fact is we all worship something. Some of us, we worship money. Some of us, we worship our status. Some of us, we worship our friends. Some of us, we worship our kids, believe it or not, because we just focus so much on them. Some of us, we worship, you know, something else, the way we look on social media. Some of us, we worship all these things. Whatever you worship is whatever you put 
your first attention to. You focus on that more than anything else. But again, I'm here to tell you this. The Bible tells us we were made to worship Jesus. That's where there is peace. That's where there's hope. That's where there's purpose. Look at verse 37 with me in a big loud voice. Would you read it with me right now? It says, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. What does that mean, the stones will cry out? Is that like, you know, the rolling stones? I can't get no satisfaction. Is that the stones, the rolling stones? No. See, what, what is Jesus talking about? He's saying that all of creation was made to worship Jesus and that God made you and me along with everything else that he made to worship him. That's, what, that's why Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies, the work of his hands. Day after day, they display knowledge. Day after day, they pour forth speech. It's because all of creation was made ultimately for God's glory. And that's why you were made as well. And see, Jesus was, me- was meant to be worshiped. You were made to be his worshiper. And when you worship something other than God, life is empty, life is incomplete, life is not at peace at all. But when you worship Jesus, that's when you find your reason for living. And see, what is worship? Worship is not just singing songs. It's not just music. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is you trying your best to live each moment to give God glory. It's what 1 Corinthians 10.31 says. It says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, or whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. It's saying, you know, not just my song this morning, not just what I do in church this morning, not even just the offering I give this morning, but every moment can be a moment to worship Jesus. When I'm taking my eight-month-old son out to the park for a walk and I'm thanking God for blessing me with such an amazing son, that's worship. You know, when, when I'm thinking about how to reach out to my neighbors and, and give them an Easter invitation, that is worship. When I'm going through a tough time and I'm not just saying, God, get me out of this, but God, glorify yourself through this, that is worship. It's so much more than songs. It's a lifestyle. And you know, worship is, is also something I'm learning is that worship is trusting God even when you don't fully understand. You know, you, I, I think you ought to understand something about the story is that most of the people in Luke chapter 19, verses 20 to 40, most of them in this crowd would turn away from Jesus eventually. Most of them would. Most of them actually thought that Jesus would be this military commander who would by force take the, the, take the nation of Israel into his, into his hands and get them away from the Roman rulers that were you know, controlling them. They wanted this military warrior hero to come and to basically become a political king. They wanted Jesus to establish a political kingdom now for all of them. And when they saw him crucified on a cross, they thought, what is this? They thought, you know, like, this is not the king we wanted. But this is the thing, is that Jesus would come on this side of heaven. He would come to die on the cross for our sins because we needed a peace that politics couldn't give us. Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be brought back to God. And one day, one day, he will return as the king of kings to conquer and to establish his kingdom. But that was later. And the lesson there is this, is that sometimes the help you want is not the help you need. God is focused on the help you need, not the help that you want. And and see, sometimes God has to help us see that what we think we need is not always what we know, what God knows we need. And, And see, the question becomes this, is when that happens, when God doesn't quite work the way that you expect him to, will you still worship him? Will you still worship him? 
Or will you worship him to the extent that you, you see him do everything he want, you want him to do, in which case you're just worshiping yourself? You know, when, when my brother-in-law passed away very suddenly, about 10 years ago, um, it was a heartbreaking uh, time for my family, for my parents-in-law in particular. And I remember we brought them to church just a couple days after his passing. I remember we're at the back of this church and the pastor there is saying, you know, if there's something that you need to let God have today, then would you just raise your hands to God? And for the first time in my life, I see my father-in-law who wasn't a dedicated Christian or any kind of thing, but he, he just raised his hands to God. Tears running down his face. Just surrendering to God, knowing and thanking God that Dan, my brother-in-law, was in a better place now because he trusted Jesus as a Savior. And he just lifted his hands. And, you know, at, because of that moment, though it's something that we never asked for, never hoped for, God used it in such a powerful way to do something so powerful in my father-in-law's life to turn him into a worshiper of Jesus. And as a result, he was lifting his hands on that day and continues to do so to this day. See, true worship happens whenever I respond to God with faith, with humility, with love, with courage, and I obey him because that's who he is. He's worthy of my obedience. And so since you and I were made to worship Jesus, let's let him have it. Let's let him have the worship that he is due. Don't just give it when he asks. Don't just give it in isolated situations, but see your whole life and every day as a moment and a chance to worship Jesus. Just like 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. When you let him have it this way, you honor God. When you let him have it this way, you're a blessing to others. When you let him have it this way, you experience a peace that no one else can give. And that's what we're doing these next three weeks, the next three days, fasting and praying and drawing near to God. When we let Jesus have it, that's when greater joy is possible. When we let Jesus have it, that's when peace is possible. When we let Jesus have it, that's when forgiveness is possible. When we let Jesus have it, that's when strength and hope are possible in ways that we could never manufacture ourselves. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand and a big shout in this place this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to invite you to respond to God today. Maybe you're here today and you realize that you need God's forgiveness for stuff that you've done, stuff that you said, maybe this past week, maybe even this morning. Maybe you've never come to God and said, God, I need you in my life. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. We want to give you an opportunity to do that because that's the most powerful prayer you could possibly pray. It's just simply to receive as a gift the forgiveness that God made possible when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. And if that's what you need this morning and you need the gift of God's forgiveness, that I'm going to invite you to just raise your hand to God today as, a, as an expression of your need for Him. And the good thing about God is that He will come in simply because you ask, not based on your performance, because His love for you is unconditional. He loves you with an everlasting love. And so if you need Jesus today, you want to invite Him to your life, why don't you just lift up your hand to God this morning. Lift your hand high into heaven, and we're just going to pray this prayer with you right now that you pray. You can say, Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus thank you. Thank you. For dying on the cross, for dying on the cross to, pay for all my sins, to pay for all my sins, for rising again, rise me again to, give me life. to give me life. I open up my heart. I, open my heart. I invite you in. I invite you. Please forgive me of my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you that starting today, I am a child of God. I'm a citizen of heaven. And the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place?